Well, good morning. I'm Tommy Green. I'm the associate pastor here at Centerpoint. And with me this morning is my wonderful and beautiful wife, Shelly Green. She's the worship leader here at Prattville. And this morning, we're going to be teaching on the second installment of our new series, Nehemiah, Faith in Action. As a matter of fact, inside your bulletin, you're going to find an insert with an outline on it entitled Overcoming Problems. And if you need a pen to fill in the blanks as you follow along this morning, if you just raise your hand, our ushers would love to come by and get you a pen. In uh, last week's message, uh, John talked about Nehemiah and how Nehemiah had discovered that there was a problem. His brother had come to visit him, and in the midst of conversation, Nehemiah asked his brother, he says, how is it going with the people of Israel? How is it going in Jerusalem? And his brother said, not good. Matter of fact, the gates are all burnt, the city is, I mean, the uh, wall is destroyed, and the city's in ruins. And Nehemiah got a real big burden, and he began to cry out to God and pray to God about that. This morning, we're going to talk about how Nehemiah, as he found out about there was, there was a problem last week, this week we're going to discover what he did about that problem. How did he overcome the problem that he was facing? But before we get, jump into today's message, I want to have a word of prayer. Uh, so will you pray with me? Lord, we want to come before you this morning, and Lord, I just want to ask that, Lord, that you would speak through your word. I thank you, Lord God, that it has all the answers of life are found in your word. And so this morning, Lord, I thank you that you have recorded Nehemiah's journey and how you overcome problems. I pray that it would speak to us and how we can overcome problems in our life. And Father, I pray that you would speak through your word, move me out of the way, move Shelly out of the way, and really speak to us. Lord, I thank you that your word never, ever returns void, but it goes out and accomplishes exactly what you have for it to do. And so we pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me ask you a question before we ever get started this morning. How many of you in this room are facing a problem, either in your life or in someone else's life, that you need help overcoming with? How many can I see your hands? Look, look at the hands in here. And mo- the rest of you who didn't raise your hand are lying, okay? Because can I just share with you that a- most of life is about dealing with problems, whether our own problems, whether other people's problems. I mean, if you live, if you're alive, you're going to face problems. And so it's why it's so important for us to take a look and see, well, how did Nehemiah overcome the problem that he was facing? And I believe he gives us a real blueprint for how we ought to deal with problems in our lives as well. And the first thing Nehemiah did, which is point one on your outline, is Nehemiah defined the problems he faced. He defined them. Shelly, will you lead us and, and read us the, the first part of the story? Sure. So I arrived in Jerusalem. Three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. After dark, I went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over to the dung gate. Yes, that is what you think it is. It's it's, gross, but it's in the Word of God, so we have to read it. Yeah, I mean, it's important that they actually had to look at this because, I mean, you just imagine... If the gate that you can't get all the human waste and the animal waste out of, and it's messed up, that's a problem, right? I mean, that becomes a pretty stinky city is all I'm saying, okay? Oh, yeah, that is definitely a problem. Okay, so they went over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and burned gates. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my, dark, my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So though it was still dark, I went up to the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. Yeah, and if you've got your pen with you, I want you to underline the word inspecting the wall. Nehemiah had heard there was a problem, but when he comes to Jerusalem, 
the first thing he begins to do is he begins to inspect the damage. He begins to clearly define what is the problem that he is. What, what are we facing here? What's really going on? And, you know, in a life application for us already right off the bat in this story is that we need to define the problems facing us. We need to define them, whether they're financial problems, health problems, relationship problems, uh, problems in our personal lives. We need to really find out what is it that is going on. I mean, it's not that we're just dealing with symptoms. What is the root problem of what's going on? Yeah, and defining the problem, uh, here are some examples of problems that are defined. It's, I am out of shape. I, oh, don't, am... Don't, oh, I, thought we're, I thought we were preaching this morning, not talking about me, okay? So go no, ahead. I'm really talking about both of us. Oh. Um, I am in debt. My spouse and I can't communicate. I am addicted to alcohol or porn. My children won't listen to me. And Tommy, this is something, defining problems is something that's really important to you and that you've actually helped me with. Yeah, and the reason why it is, I go back to what I've been saying, is that if we don't clearly define the problem, there's no solution. In other words, if we don't really take a real clear look at what is the problem really is, not just the, the sub-problems and everything else. Most people, if you can't get to the root of the problem, you can't ever fix it. And, you know, we do this a lot in our own lives, okay? I mean, the other day, Shelly and I had the opportunity to go on a, uh, a long trip. And two days before we were going to go on that trip, all of a sudden we're driving down the road and our car starts making all kinds of noises. It's bouncing all over the place. And Shelly looked at me and she asked that question, What's wrong with the car? And I said, you know what? I don't know what's wrong with the car, but I know how we can find out. And so we took the car to the mechanic. You know what that mechanic did? He did a thorough inspection of the car, and he clearly defined the problem. And then he called me, and he asked me the most important question. Are you willing to pay to get it fixed? <laughs> you know, but he clearly defined the problem so we could decide what the solution is. You know, we did the same thing with our health. Um, Shelly and I both have, we have uh, two family members that just within the last couple of months have been diagnosed with cancer and are are going through that battle right now. But before they discovered they had cancer, they had symptoms and their bodies weren't functioning correctly. And so what they did is they went to the doctor. The doctor ran blood tests, did PET scans, uh, did uh, CAT scans, all kinds of diagnostic tools that they use to define the problem. Because if you don't ever clearly define the problem, you can't ever find a solution. And we do those with, you know, a lot of times with our health and with cars. But a lot of of times we are really not really good about doing it with our finances, do it with our relationships, our marriages, Mm -hmm. you know, with our addictions, with our personal problems. A lot of times we don't even want to face those because we actually think that, well, if I can't, if I don't define the problem, if I I just, it'll just go away. Mm -hmm. If I ignore it and I don't face it, it will just go away. And I mean, I think there's reasons why we do that. I think one of the reasons that we have trouble admitting that we have an issue is pride. Mm. I think that's actually yeah. the number one issue. We don't want anybody to know that we might that something might not be perfect in our lives. And another thing that we have trouble with is comparing our lives to other people. Um, sometimes we think, oh, well, their kids are doing this, 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 and this, so I need to do this, 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 and this. Or, mm. well, their family does this. Well, they do this with their finances. Well, they do this with their vacations. And a lot of times, because we're comparing our lives to other people, it may be causing problems that we're not even aware of because we're in that comparison mode. Yeah, we're in the comparison mode, and we don't really want to even face the problem. We just think, hey, you know, I'm just not like them, so I'm just going to keep going. We don't really even really face our own problems. And so there's some life applications that I want to share with you this morning that will help us in this. And I actually got these two 
backwards. Actually, the first one, I want you to fill in the blank, is the second line, which is that we must be honest with ourselves. We must be honest with ourselves. Uh, sometimes uh, it's just like I said, we, just, we think it'll just go away because we don't want to face, we want to be honest with ourselves. In the book of Revelation, God writes letters to the churches. And when he writes the, le- the church to Laodicea, this is what he writes them. He says, you say that I am rich and I'm acquired wealth and I do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You know, I had someone come in my office not long ago and they said that, you know, for some reason we can't uh, pay all of our bills every week. And I asked them a question. I said, well, how much are you spending on on a food each week or going out to eat? And they looked at me and says, I don't know. I don't know. I don't keep track of that. And the point was is they didn't know what the problem was because they weren't willing to face what they were actually doing. And I think that happens a lot of times. We need to be honest with ourselves if we have an addiction, if we have health issues, if we're out of shape, if our finances are a wreck. We need to be honest with ourselves. The other thing we need to do, which is, is actually the first point I want you to write in, is we need to be honest with God. Not only do we need to be honest with ourselves, we need to be honest with God. Psalms 139.23 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and leads me along the path of everlasting life. This is a prayer that David, King David had, had, had wrote. And the prayer was this, God, I'm not even sure what's wrong with my life. <laughs> I'm not even sure all the problems that I have, but I'm asking you, God, point out any area in my life that needs to be fixed. And I think that's always a good, a, a good place to start is asking God, God, help us with our problems. Is that right? Absolutely. It's something that I've had to do in my own life personally. Um, my nature is to go full throttle in whatever I'm doing. I'm mm-hmm. all or nothing. And um, unfortunately, sometimes I've allowed work or outside demands to take precedence, to take priority over my family and over relationships. And this really came to a head a couple of years ago. I was standing in the kitchen and um, on the lovely device smartphone, you know, that's changed all of our lives and made life so convenient because we can reply to an email or a text and instantly communicate, right? It's such a blessing. Well, here's the curse part for me. I'm standing in uh, my kitchen and my children are talking to me about something that was important to them. And I'm on my phone and I'm, you know, replying to this email because after all, it's, it's super urgent. And my child says, Mom, are you even listening to me? And I said, well, yes, I am. No, you're not. You're looking at your phone. I was like, "Mm, you're right. I wasn't listening to you. And I was letting the, the person in front of me go to the wayside because something else was more important. Now, here's, here's the hard part. I got great intentions. My kids should know I love them, right? But my actions weren't showing that. My actions were speaking something completely different. And so that was a painful moment, um, one of those come-to-Jesus moments where God just kind of pricked my heart and said, okay, now something has to change. And so um, instead of saying yes to everyone and everything, I had to get honest with myself and say, okay, God, I have a problem and I need your help. Yeah, I think what we talked about, one of the problems you clearly defined during that season was that you didn't have really good boundaries in your life. Yes, you didn't zero get, healthy boundaries. You didn't know when to turn off work. You didn't know when to say no to people. And so it was something you talked about. It's like, I really come to grips that 
you know what? I can't let this, I can't ignore this anymore. Right. I have to come to grips with this. You know, and it's true. We need to be honest with God. We need to be honest with others. But here, let me, let me share something else that we need to do, which is probably the hardest step, is we need to be honest with others. We need to be honest with others. James 5, 16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. When I was in college uh, back in 1996, around that time, I remember I had to do a research paper for a history paper that I had to do in college. And it was the first paper I had to do where they wanted us to use the Internet to go research stuff. And I had a, a computer at home, and we'd, I got the Internet just for that specific purpose. And I remember I was on there searching things. And, you know, things started popping up that were inappropriate of me to click on. But I began to click on those things. And I begin to look at images on that computer that I shouldn't be looking at. And that led me down a couple of years of having a problem of, of, of being on the Internet when I shouldn't be and looking at things that I shouldn't be looking at. And, you know, during that whole season, I was honest with myself. I knew I had a problem. I was honest with God. I was like, God, I've got a problem. I need help. I was honest with myself. I was honest with God. But, you know, it wasn't until I found someone that I could share my problem and say, listen, this is what's going on in my life. I'm going to bring it to the light. I need help. And when I began to share that with a really good friend of mine who held me accountable, someone that I could trust, that was the thing that led me to freedom. That's the, the step that I took that began to uncover the problem that I was having in my life. And can I tell you that that's why the word says that if you confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Anything in our lives that we feel like we must hide are the things that we must bring to the light. There is something extremely important about bringing things to the light of God and bringing the light of things to each other. Am I right about that? Absolutely. You know, mold grows in the darkness. It spreads in the darkness. Mold does not grow in the sunshine. It doesn't. And it's the same way in our personal lives. The things that are secret sins that we cover up and we hide, we cannot get freedom. No matter how much we talk ourselves into it, oh, I'm going to get free. Oh, I'll talk tomorrow. I'll, I'll start tomorrow. I'll find somebody. Until we actually take the step to become accountable to someone, we cannot get free of those things because it just grows in darkness. But here's what I'll say about accountability, and this is super important. If you're going to take the step to confess your sins to somebody, make sure that the person that you are accountable to does not struggle in the same area that you struggle in. That is not accountability. Because when we come together with somebody who is having the exact same struggle at the exact same level that we are, instead of holding each other accountable and that person getting in your face and saying, come on, you're better than that, you can, you can do it, you've got to stop that, what happens is we come together and we actually kind of hide our sin together. And so instead of getting past it, it unites us and it makes us stronger in that sin. But when we come to somebody that is strong where we're weak, man, that thing in our life has no chance. Mm. No chance. Yeah, and this, I want you, especially you men in here, I want you to hear me this morning. Some of you need to find someone that you can trust, that you can go share your problems with. We have bought into a lie in America that, you know what, that we, know to, we don't need anyone else's help. We don't need to share our problems with other people. That if we can't handle it on our own, then we're not real men. That's a lie of the devil. That's right. And some of you need to find someone 
that you can say, listen, I'm really struggling with lust. I'm really struggling with a gambling addiction. I'm really struggling with porn. And can I tell you, when you bring it to the light, you, you actually strip the enemy of its power. And so I just really want to encourage you to do that in here. And ladies, it works the same way with us. If it's whether it's fear or anxiety or even depression, you know, so often we feel as women that there's these expectations that are put on us, and we have to keep this standard, the superwoman standard. It's it's a it's a farce. <laughs> it's it's wrong. Um, it doesn't exist, and we need to be honest with people and say, you know what, I'm struggling. Would you help me? Yeah. So there's freedom in that. There is. So Nehemiah had defined his problem. Okay, he did. He was honest about his situation. And once you're honest about your situation and you really know what you're facing, the second thing he did was Nehemiah made plans to overcome his problems. He found out what his problem was, and now he's going to, find, he's going to make some plans so we can overcome this problem. The city officials did not know I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by the fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Now listen, you can imagine when Nehemiah was out there and he was surveying the wall. He was looking to see what the damage is. In his mind, he's going, you know what? Here's what we could do here. Here's what we could do here. And he began to plan. And you know, in point A on your outline states this. Planning is an important part of the Christian life. It's an important part of the Christian life. Because part of planning is about being intentional. And that's a huge part of overcoming our problems. It is. Um, planning is something that I'm super a proponent of. And after I discovered the problem in my life of not being able to set healthy boundaries, I began looking for real solutions. And I came across a book by Andy Stanley called The Principle of the Path. And basically, in a nutshell, it's so fabulous, but he talks about that we are all on a road to somewhere in our lives. But the question is, does the path that we are on lead where we think it leads? Because a lot of times we have tricked ourselves into believing because of our good intentions that we're on one path. For an example, if, we, if our thing is that we want to get out of debt and we have great intentions, but we're still spending beyond what we're making, okay, we're not on the path we think we're on. Nope. And all paths lead somewhere. They lead to one destination. Which is basically every action, every action that we have leads to something. Absolutely. And in planning, we have to start with the end in mind. What is the desired goal? What is it that we want to achieve? No one ever says, okay, in my, in my case... When I grow up, I want to work too much and have no relationships with my children by the time they leave home. No one ever says that. But if I had continued with this cell phone in my face all the time, ignoring the little faces, the little eyes staring back at me, okay, what path am I really on? It doesn't matter what intentions I have. They should know I love them, right? Right? But that's not the path I'm on. And so the Lord really began to get on to me. What are you going to do about it? So here are some practical things. And now I'm accountable to like 600 people. But here are some practical things that I have put into my life. Okay, I have reminders on my phone that pop up at 6 a.m. and 3 p.m. And it says, relationship over task. 
Those are the two times that I encounter my children in transitional ways. And as a mom, okay, in the mornings, what are we doing? We're trying to rush our kids out the door. It is all about, come on, get your stuff. Get your, make sure you have this book. Make sure you've got that. Let's go, let's go, let's go. In the afternoons, the first thing in my brain as a task doer is, okay, what homework do you have? We've got to make lunches when we get home. Let's get this thing going. But that reminder helps me to go, hey, how was your day today? I, I want you to know I thought about you when I ran into so-and-so today at work. They asked about you, and it made me think about you. How was your day? What was, what was the greatest point of your day? What was the thing that made you the saddest today? And having real conversations with my children. And then we've said a family night um, that is kind of an immovable thing. Uh, we've said no emails or texts during certain hours in the evenings. Uh, individual dates with each child. And here's a really important thing for me is understanding the season of life that we are in. When we say yes to things, when we give our yes, our commitment to something, that means we're saying no to other things. And there's a book. How many of you ladies have um, heard of Proverbs 31 Ministries? Anybody? Yeah, well, th- she has a book out called The Best Yes. And I haven't read it, but a lot of ladies at Centerpoint have. And it talks about what are you giving your time to? What is God's best yes in your life? And so what I've decided is there's some things that I have to say no to for now, but not forever. Yeah. So basically you... You just discover you got a problem. Yes. And then you actually begin to come up with a plan, a game plan to actually change an that problem. An intentional plan. An intentional plan. You know, I was thinking about, we, we, like I said, we've got some family members right now that are really battling cancer. You know, and when they go to the doctor, that's what the doctor does. He thinks about the, the end solution. His end solution is for them to be cancer-free. Yes. And so the plan that he puts in place for their lives are steps that they are to take, medicines, treatments, other things like that, so that they can actually end up in that place. Is that correct? That's right. And And that's why plans are so important. Mm -hmm. And we need to remember that God plans. In fact, Psalm 40, verse 5 says, O Lord my God, your plans for us are too numerous to list. Isaiah, I have a plan for the whole earth, for my mighty power reaches throughout the world. Proverbs 4.26 indicates that God actually wants us to plan. Plan carefully what you do, and whatever you do will turn out right. And here's a great one. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So God actually wants us to plan. Yeah, and planning is really important. But here's another note on your outline right here, is that God does not want us to plan without consulting him. Okay, God doesn't want to be left out of our life. He wants to be involved in every single part of our lives. Listen to what Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Depend not on your understanding. Seek his will in all you do. I want you to underline, circle, make a big mark around. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. He knows the end from the beginning. Okay? He Not only does he know the end from the beginning, he's concerned with every aspect of our lives. So why wouldn't we involve him in our plans? God, I've got a problem, and I want you to show me and to help me see what is the best plan of action for what I'm going through, from what I'm facing? You know, he loves when it's, you know, I love it when my children come to me and they have a problem. I love it. And they ask, Dad, I don't know how to do this. Can you help me? I love that. You know, our God the Father is exactly the same way. He loves it when we do that. Now, another point I want to make on this, which is point B on your outline, is that some tasks are too big for us. Some tasks are too big for us. Nehemiah, when he was 
surveying the wall. You can only imagine as he's walking around the wall of Jerusalem and he's seeing the fire, the gates have been destroyed by fire and all the walls and rubble. And he's looking, he goes, you know what? I can't do this on my own. And if I do try to do this on my own, this is going to take forever and it's going to be, it's just going to overwhelm me. So what I understand is this, a lot of, ta- a lot of problems in our life are really too difficult for us. And here's a life application. We need to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Now, in Exodus, when Moses had taken the children out of Egypt and he's in the wilderness, he begins to um, basically be like their king. And, uh, but he takes all the responsibility for everybody on himself and his father-in-law comes and visits him. And this is the conversation that they have. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? You're going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle by yourself. Proverbs eleven fourteen says this. Sorry. There we go. Yes, yeah, right there. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, when there is no counsel, people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. You know, one of the things I get the privilege of, of seeing, especially being a pastor here at Centerpoint, is when people come in for counseling. Uh, all of our pastors do uh, marriage counseling and financial counseling, stuff like that. And uh, when people come in, one of the things they're saying is, listen, the problem I'm facing right now in my life is too big for me. People who come to that conclusion have a much better success rate than people who don't. You don't want to be your first solution. Hey, we need to go to the lawyer and get a divorce. If you do that before you ever say, hey, listen, I need some help in this area, then you've missed the whole point. I mean, we think that there's there's manuals and, and things for how we drive cars, how we put things together. But we think when it comes to our marriages and to our finances and to raising our kids and to our personal problems that we ought to be able to just take care of that on our own. And I think it comes back to the point that pride is the thing that keeps us from overcoming our problems. That ugly word just keeps popping up, doesn't it? Does. It does. It's pride. Yeah. I mean, we live in a society that says if you can't handle it, then you're really not, you're not good enough. Well, part of my unhealthy boundaries was that I would not ask for help with anything and, uh, but all that changed because we are both in full-time ministry here at Center Point, and we have three children, and one of those children has special needs, and we have no family in the area. Um, we stay very busy. And cooking, laundry, cleaning, shopping, scheduling, homework, errands, paying bills, budgeting, rides to school, the doctor, orthodontist, physical therapy, basketball practices, games, marching band practices, and parent-teacher, parent-teacher conferences still have to happen and somewhere in the middle of all that, I've got to find 10 minutes to shave my legs. <laughs> Can I get an amen from some ladies in the room? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. And so I had to come to this conclusion that I need help. And I sat down with Tommy and the kids and I said, I need some help. And so around our household, it is truly team green. Um, we have divided up the work and each one of us has specific responsibilities. Yeah. We really are an equal opportunity ha- household, okay? Yes. <laughs> very much so. so. It's very much so, yeah. There are times you might come by the house that I might, I mean, I might have a mop in my hand. I might, That's right. you know, I might have an apron on. He never you know, has I mean, an apron. You saying something about my cooking? Yeah. <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> but, I mean, it's the truth. And so we, we need help. And, you know, there's another point that I didn't put on your outline that I want you to write in. 
And it's not only do we need to ask help from others, we need to ask help from God. Okay, we need to ask help from God. James 5.1 says this, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. God wants us to ask him for help. I'm going to say that again. God wants us to ask him for help. He loves that. And he does not rebuke us. He doesn't say, you know what? You ought to know the answer by now. He loves it when we come to him. You know, I, I hear some people who say, you know what? I don't really want to come to God with all of my problems, with all of my sin, with all of my hurt. I, I really don't want to come to God. I really want to clean all those things up and come to him. And, you know, I want to be very presentable when I come to God. But, you know, that's kind of like waiting to go to the ER until after you stop bleeding. I want you to think about that for a second. Why do you go to ER? When you're bleeding, when you're sick, when you've got a problem. You don't wait for the problem to go away and then go to the ER. Well, it's the same thing with God. We need to bring God our problems because He is the one who knows the solution. That's right. He does. He knows the answer to every one of our problems. And so we need to always consistently ask God to help, you know? And another life application is that we need to help others. Yeah. Um, Galatians says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And in John, it says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Yeah. Every time that we actually lend a helping hand to someone in need, we're actually fulfilling God's command to us, which is to love one another. So when we see people in need, when, we ask, when people ask for our help, we need to be the people who are willing to help. And actually, by that, we actually show the rest of the world that we belong to God by the way that we love each other, by the way we help each other. I mean, it's a huge, important part of the Christian life. That's one of the reasons why we have connect groups. Connect groups are a great opportunity for people to get to build really good relationships with each other. I, mean, I, can't, I can tell you story after story after story of connect groups who've had a, a, a member of their connect group go through something that is uh, a physical ailment, a, a health issue, and that other connect group gather around them and bring meals to them and help them with the kids and actually be the hands and feet of Christ on the earth. You know? And the hard part is, though, and this is a note on our outline, some of us need to let people help us. And this has actually played out in my life today. Um, today is a busy day for us. You know, I'm leading worship, co-teaching with Tommy. We have Night of Praise tonight. So little bit intense, a little bit going on. And there's been a couple of people in our lives that have stepped up and say, hey, how can we help you today? We have this, this idea of, of some things we think we can do mm. to help you. And I said, yes. But a couple of years ago, I would have been like, oh, no, it's okay. But now I'm like, yes, because I'm finally come to the conclusion that I can either receive help or kill myself. And um, Yeah, a lot of times the reason we don't, and even when someone does ask us and we're like, we're really hesitant to let them help us. It goes back to what we've been talking about. It's because of pride. Yeah, and then we I mean, how many, how many, you, how many, let me ask you just a question real quick. How many of you in here feel guilty when someone asks to help you? Isn't that horrible? Mm -hmm. Why? We need each other. God didn't put us on this earth by ourselves. We're called to help each other. When you refuse to let someone help you, you are taking a blessing away from them. Don't take someone's blessing away from them. We need to allow people to help us. And 
Romans 12 says, don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. The wonderful thing about other people helping us is they bring perspectives into our lives that mm. we don't have. Yeah. Well, here's, here's another thing that Nehemiah did. So he defined the problem. He made a plan to overcome the problem. He asked for help in the problem. Here's the third thing he did, or the next thing he did. Nehemiah divided his problem into manageable tasks. Okay. I mean, not only, I mean, he comes up with a game plan. Here's the plan, what we're going to do. But then he takes that game plan and he makes it into manageable tasks. Shelly, will you read the rest of this uh, part? Of, uh, these are just experts of, of, of Nehemiah 3, of some people who helped. Then Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the Sheep Gate. Jediah, son of Haromoth, repaired the wall across from his own house. Shalom, son of Halohesh, and his daughters repaired the next section. The Dung Gate was repaired by Malchijah, Son of Recap. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> Poor guy is right. <laughs> Stinky how'd job. You, how'd you like that assignment? Uh, the leader of the B district. Um, <laughs> we'll just go there. <laughs> don't now tell, you, don't now, tell John. <laughs> now you know why I had you read the, this. <laughs> the Hackerum. There, now there's a mouthful. District. Um, he rebuilt it, set up its doors, and installed its bolts and bars. Yeah. I mean, he did. He, this is what Nehemiah did. He gave each person a task responsible and what you gotta realize is it's the story Nehemiah 3 is full of a bunch of different people who helped on the gate gates helped on the wall and most of them say this these people worked on the wall that was right in front of them yeah and they understood if they would do the next right thing that it would get accomplished and that's a that's, that's actually a note on your outline, is that we need to do the next right thing. And that goes with our life application. As individuals, we need to divide up our problems into manageable tasks. And the way you divide it up into manageable tasks is by doing the next right thing. Let me share with you how this might work out in some different scenarios and some problems. Let's say you're having a problem in your marriage. Well, and part of the problem that you define in your marriage or in your problem is because you can't communicate. Well, maybe the one step that you take is setting a time on your schedule every single week for 30 minutes where you guys have a time that's set aside, it's on your schedule, it's a meeting that you talk. Maybe that's the one thing that you do and it begins to get the ball rolling. You do the next right thing. Maybe it's your debt. Maybe the, the, the first right thing to do is stop spending more than you take in, right? That's the first right thing to do. And a lot of times what we do is we see the debt and we see this overwhelming problem that we have. And so we say, the problem is too big for us. I can't just fix it right now. And so we do, we do nothing. Sometimes you've got to take your problems on at bite-sized bits. A lot. Same thing with our health. And I'm really bad about this because sometimes I'll find that, you know what, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to start building some muscle. And so I go to the gym and I try to accomplish all of that in one time. You know what I'm saying? And I walk home and I can't walk for three weeks. Okay. It's really funny. Yeah, thank you. But, <laughs> but we do. We try, to, we try to do Instead of just maybe setting a time that we stop eating late at night and start walking. You do the next right thing. Psalms 37, 23 says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly, and he delights in every details of their life. You know, here's another life application for us as a church. As a church, we've divided our problems into manageable tasks. How many of you realize that, that we have problems facing us, not only as individuals, but as a society? Amen? Yeah. Well, can I tell you that, the, that God's um, 
plan and his solution for the problems of the world is very simple. It's you. It's me. It's us together as a church. There is no plan B. That is his plan for the world. It's the church. You and I have problems that we need to solve in this world and we need to do it together. You know, and that's one thing that's wonderful about church is that each of us has a part to play. Listen to what Corinthians 12 says. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up the whole, one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not the hand, and that does not make it any less part of the body. Our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. I want you to say this with me. God has put me right where he wants me. Can you say that? God has me right where he wants me. It's exactly right. And if you have a part to play in building God's kingdom and keep building his church. And do not, this is my pet peeve, people say, oh, well, all, all I can do is text my connect group and mm. remind them what's, what's going on during the week. Don't say that's all I can do. All I can do is park cars. All I can do is hand out a bulletin. Let me, just, let me just tell you, each part is essential. Do you know the people that are parking cars out there today? That is the first friendly face that people experience when they come to Centerpoint on mm. a Sunday morning. And there are people that come that are hurting, and this is the first time that they've been here. I am so thankful for the greeters that are there, for the ushers that are there, for people that are downstairs taking care of our children and in the nursery let me tell you, every part, whether it's seen or unseen, is essential. So do not ever say, well, all I do is. No, what you do matters. Yeah, this plays out in our connect groups as well. Yes. I mean, maybe the, you're the person in the connect group that really understands, okay, you know, we're going to go help feed the homeless today. And you're the one who organizes that trip. Or maybe you're the other person in the connect group that is the person who calls everybody in the connect group and divvies out what everyone's going to bring. And what each person does. Or maybe your part is that, you know what? You're gifted at, at being a, uh, really good with your hands and building things. And that's your part that you play. Don't ever underestimate what God has. We all need each other to accomplish the mission that God has called us to do. Which is to bring hope and, uh, and sense of, of well-being to the world. And to you know, help other people's problems. Absolutely. So I just want, just want to bring that to us. So I want to recap a little bit of the message today. If we're going to overcome problems, first we've got to find out what the problem is. We need to clearly define it, clearly know what it is. And then we need to come up with a game plan. How are we going to tackle this problem? And then we need to ask people to help us. Hey, this overcoming this is going to take more than just me to overcome this. Then we need to make sure that it's a manageable task. That each of us can take off bite-sized pieces that we can do to overcome them. Will you pray with me? Father, I just want to come before you this morning, Lord. And I thank you so much, that, Lord God, that you recorded the story of Nehemiah in, in the Bible. Uh, Lord God, it's a story that we can go at and we can look at. And I thank you, Lord God, that it has life applications for us today. Today, Nehemiah had a problem he faced. The walls of Jerusalem were tore down and the gates were burnt and the city was in ruins. And you know what? He went and he found out exactly what was going on. He made a plan. And not only did he make a plan, he shared that plan with others and said, hey, do you want to join me in this? And then they began to follow through in the plan that they had, they, that they had put into place. Lord, I pray that, Lord God, if we've got problems in our life that we're too proud to face, 
that we've been ignoring, if there are health problems that we've been ignoring in this room, or people that are watching at the other sites or on the internet, if there's problems that people have been putting off and not wanting to face because of pride, Lord, I pray today would be the day that they say, you know what? I know there's a problem. I've just been scared to look at it. I pray that, Lord God, that you would give them courage and strength to face what they're facing. So, Father, Lord, I also want to pray that, Lord God, that you would, um, that we would be good friends to those that are going through problems, and that we would lend a helping hand. That, Lord God, that we would let other people help us when we're going through things. And, Lord God, we wouldn't be too proud to ask. So, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it always speaks truth. It always speaks to our hearts. And I thank you for what you've done today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I really want